the reading today is from Psalm 34 of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes it boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days, what he may see good that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's pray. Lord, would you soften our hearts this morning, Spirit, and prepare us to hear what you have for us. Would you teach us to magnify your name with one another and glorify you in our community, both within these walls and out. We love you and we trust you to do this. In your name, Jesus, amen. Mike. Um, hey guys, I'm excited to be preaching in front of you today. I've been at Aletheia for like two and a half years now, and for many of you, I've known for much longer than that, and I'm just excited to be preaching here. I'm not a regular here. Uh, I'm just pursuing where the Lord, I think, has called me, and this is to preach, and so here I am, extremely nervous, if you can tell, but also excited to be preaching to you guys, because I love you guys, and you guys have encouraged me uh, these past two and a half years, and for even longer than that, and so I just want this to be in return to what you guys have done for me and encourage you guys in the way that I've been encouraged all this time. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and its ability to guide us and to correct us and to comfort us. I thank you for your church and that we can comfort one another and that we can encourage one another I thank you for your spirit. I pray that it would work within me today. And that it would work within the hearts of this congregation, your children, your people, the ones you have chosen, the ones you have redeemed. I thank you for that, Father. May your name be magnified. May your name be exalted today in this time. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Well, before we even get into um, the first part of this psalm, it actually says, it showed up as verse 1, but it's a little bit before that. Um, it says, of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and went away. And this is actually something found in 1 Samuel 21, and it's pretty interesting because it, leading up to this, well, 1 um, Samuel 17 gives us a little bit of information about David, and he is 
initially he's anointed by Samuel, and then he defeats Goliath. He's entered into the courts of Saul, and then he finds himself getting victorious in multiple battles. And all of a sudden, people are praising him and saying, Saul has slain his thousands, David has slain his tens of thousands, and Saul gets envious of this. He gets envious of David's success, and he tries to kill him on multiple occasions. He tries to spear him into a wall, and David, fleeing for his life, finds himself running to a foreign land, and he finds himself in the land of King Abimelech, and he tries to find refuge here, but instead what, what he finds is his reputation has followed him. It's followed him into the land of King Abimelech, and people are once again saying, David has slain his tens of thousands, and out of fear of, um, out of, out of, fear of the wrath of the king, he decides to act insane. That's what it's saying when he's changing his behavior. Some of them also talk about him acting insane or you know, going crazy, acting like a madman in front of King Abimelech. And he does this because he doesn't want King Abimelech to kill him. And so he, he, he does this acting job in front of King Abimelech, and, and then what happens is he's, he's delivered. King Abimelech drives him out of his presence. And so what we see here is a psalm that's generated from these experiences, and I hope I didn't bore you with this history lesson, but you'll see why it's really helpful to, to know this, because we, we see these themes of deliverance. We see these themes of magnifying God for what he has done, because we see David being delivered in this. And so he, he pens, although he didn't probably have a pen, he writes this psalm as, as a monument or a memorial, similar to what Joshua did when he set up a pillar of stones when the Lord delivered the Israelites across the Jordan River. David does the same thing. He writes a poem, an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet, to take them through every moment of the alphabet and remind them of God's faithfulness. And so that's what he's doing here in this psalm. And so when we see these themes of deliverance, it makes a lot of sense. In fact, we see it in the first couple verses here, verses 1 through 4. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Verses 1 through 3. And what's, what's interesting about this, I remember, remember the first time I read it and I thought to myself, that's kind of kind of bold of David, you know, to say, I'm going to do this all the time. I'm never going to fail. I'm, I'm continually going to praise the Lord at all times. His boasting shall ever be on my lips. And I thought, mm, um, I don't know if I can say that. I mean, I was boasting in myself earlier today. I was thinking, you know, oh, maybe I'll do a good job. And then there was also the the fear element as well in this preaching, um, as many of you know how difficult this can be sometimes. But I thought to myself, man, I, I just can't say that. And I thought, well, what about David? Can he, can he say that? Can, can, did he truly magnify the Lord and boast in him at all times? And in reality, he didn't. There was a time where David took a census um, of his army and, and of his nation and the point of it was to assess his own strength, but only God is supposed to authorize a census. But David did it anyway because he wanted to see how strong he was and how big his nation and how big his army was. And what that resulted in was his own punishment, but in that moment, is he praising God or is he praising himself and looking for his own praise? Well, that's what he was doing. He was praising himself. So I thought, well, what, what, is, what, is, it, what is he trying to say? And the reality is Psalm speaks in absolutes. It talks all the time. I mean, we see it all the time where it says, I will do this all the time. This will happen all the time. And it's so important to have this kind of understanding of some of this stuff is poetic. So when David says, I will do this all the time, what he's making, what he's saying is more of a personal commitment saying, I desperately want to do this all the time. I want to magnify the name of the Lord at all times. I want to praise his name. I want it to be continually on my mouth. And that should be our plea, that should be our cry, that should be our desire and hope as well, that we would magnify 
the Lord at all times. And I love what he does here is he, is he brings it to, he says he makes a personal commitment and then he brings it to the rest of the congregation and says, I'm going to do this. Now let's do this together. And I think of Aletheia Church, I think of the body of Christ and all of us and just the, what we can do together and how we're supposed to take this personal commitment of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise your name at all times and then we take it and we encourage one another and say we're, we're, we're all going to do this. We can hold each other accountable to this commitment to serving the Lord. And I love that. And there's a unique character trait that, that David starts to speak about of those who will magnify the Lord at all times and it's humility. We see that at the end of verse 2. It says, let the humble hear and be glad. And I thought, yikes. I mean, that is difficult. You think about humanity and our natural propensity to boast in ourselves. That's a, that's a difficult thing to think about. Of like, I don't, I don't think I do this very often. I mean, it's so easy to, to boast in oneself. If, if, if I were to, you know, have a, a good sermon, or if I were to perform well at work, or if you're in school, then it's easy to want to boast in ourselves. I think about, you know, the incredible talent that we have on a Sunday morning in the, in the instruments and the, the musicians that we have up here. And it's just, I mean, it's talent, and they've worked hard to get there. And so it's really easy for us to, to boast in ourselves. And it's understandable. But what David's saying is not people that boast in themselves will magnify the Lord. It's the humble that will magnify the Lord. And so that's, that's our calling, that's our challenge from David, is that we would be humble. And I want to take us into a couple, you know, different avenues that help us to understand why we must be uh, humble and why we should be humble. And, you know, first and foremost, the, the main idea is that these gifts were not of our own. It says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And that actually was something um, I've read before, but the first time it really impacted me was when, when I was reading a book called Preaching the Cross. It's an incredible book, and it was helping me to kind of prepare for this, and I thought in that moment of, yeah, true. I mean, whatever abilities I have, it's not like, I mean, I've worked to be, improve myself, but really God has given me the giftings that I have, there's no reason for me to, to boast in these things and to boast in myself because they were given to me by God. And it's so helpful to remember in these, in these times when we're in school and we get a good grade or we're in work and we perform well or, you know, whatever it is, when, when people are recognizing our intelligence or recognizing our athletic ability or recognizing our ability to play music, we have to think to ourselves, this was given to me. God gave me these gifts so why would I boast as if I had not received it? Very hard for me to remember. And you know, it's hard for all of us to remember that truth, but it's so critical that we do. Another element that's very helpful when it comes to humility is knowing who God is. You know, we can, we can know ourselves, and we can know our place, but ultimately, you can't be humble unless you know who God is, and that's only something that can be given to you. The knowledge of God is through His Word and through His Spirit, first. It comes to us through that, and that is what humbles us. And so I want to take us through a couple of verses that just demonstrate the glory of God. So let's read Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5. In that year, King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice who of the of the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
And this is why scripture is so valuable to us. This is why David encourages us later on into the psalm to enter into the presence of the Lord because our faces will be radiant like Moses on the mountain when we step into this moment and we, and we see God like Isaiah did and, and we recognize his greatness. Then we have that moment of seeing him and we are radiant because we understand who he is and we are humbled by that. I mean, he is the one who, as the scripture says, is is so holy. People are shouting, holy, 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 and they're covering their eyes. They can't even look at him. I mean, these are not, this is not us. We're not humans. These are angels. They are perfect, and yet they cannot handle the holiness of God, because he's not just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. It's unfathomable how holy and how great he is. I love the imagery given to us in this, where Isaiah says that the train of his robe filled the temple. I mean, can you imagine if there was someone who was walking around and the train of their robe filled this room? I think about how incredible that would be and how small I would feel if it was here in this moment. And then you hear the voice and it's shaking everything as if there's an earthquake in the room and we think, woe is me. We have that same response that Isaiah had where it's, who am I? I, I'm a man of unclean lips. I do not deserve to be in the presence of this being who is God. And it's so helpful to remember that. Revelation 5 also provides incredible imagery. It talks about Jesus. Um, it says this, I, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, the Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And I just think about how incredible of a scene that is, that one day we're going to partake in this. This is going to be us. We're going to be up there standing with all these other people, tens of thousands, ten times, ten thousand angels, and everyone's going to be crying out the rocks, the birds, the fish. Everyone's going to be exalting the name of this one, Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain, who bought us, who showed us who God is by dying on the cross and covering us in our sins, and then through the Spirit reveals the nature of God, and grants us faith in who that is. And that is incredible. It's this one who, who all of the elders are bowing down and worshiping, and there's going to be trillions of people. I mean, it's us, and, and myself, and the people over there. Everyone's going to be worshiping God together and praising his name and magnifying his name together. I mean, just trillions of people and yet we, we still have the propensity. I still have the propensity. I've preached this to myself so many times, and yet I still have the propensity to boast in myself. That's human nature. That is our depravity, that we can know who God is, and God has revealed himself to us, and yet we still find ourselves boasting. I remember in preparation for this, um, I, I was literally preaching this to myself, um, these exact words, and then the laundry went off. So I went to go do the laundry, and I found myself in conversation with Josh. And we got into a trivial argument, as brothers often do. And I just, I just found myself not being humble 
And then I sat back down and I was like, oh, I'm all angry, I'm all flustered. How am I supposed to do this sermon prepping? And you probably see the irony that I caught on a little bit later of just how, how sad that is. But that's just our human condition that I thought, how am I supposed to sermon prep? And then I had that moment of, wow, yeah, that is in complete contrast to what I'm telling others to do. That's just the reality of it is that we try and we must preach this to ourselves and our faces will be radiant, but we also have to remember our human condition and what we're being saved out of, what, what, what our natural state is, is nowhere near what God is, nowhere near his holiness. It's so broken, it's so depraved, it's so fleshly, it's so human. But David encourages us to do the opposite of what our natural inclination is, and we must seek the Lord, we must rely on his Holy Spirit to work in our lives and to sanctify us. I love what David says later in the Psalms. He says in Psalm 103, verses 14 to 16, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. How helpful that is. I mean, you just think in in the grand scheme of 10,000 years or however long humanity's been around, 100 years or however long we live is really not much. It's not a lot of time. It's a snap, you know? Here, one moment, gone the next. We're like grass. I mean, maybe that's a helpful reminder. When we walk outside today and we see the grass, we remember, that's me, you know? (laughs) We're small. I mean, we're, we're here and gone. We're finite, but God is infinite. He is everlasting. And yet, the struggle continues. And this is why we must fill our minds with this truth. And the beautiful thing is, is that we have been bought by that blood of that lamb. And this is what enables us to seek God, and this is what enables us to have that spirit in us through the faith and the death of his son, It's what enables us to have humility. Certainly, as I said, it's not a human condition. We do not like to do this on our own. We like like people to to praise us. I mean, I do. I do. Um, And not that I'm discouraging you from encouraging me, but um, it's a struggle. And I think we can all relate to that. But the beautiful thing is, is that we are bought by that blood And what David does in these next couple of verses, few verses, is he tells us of promises that are true for us, for those who are humble because of the blood of the Lamb. It says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. That is such an awesome promise. I think about just even in preparation for this sermon, how nervous I was. I mean, if you, if you know me and you knew me leading up to this, I was stressing a lot about this. I remember when Theo first called me a month and a half ago and told me, hey, dude, you're up, you know, you get to preach. And I was like, ha. Great. <laughs> you know, I, was, I, was, I was so nervous. And what's funny is that didn't happen the first two, not, first two times, but I was instantly nervous about this. And what's helpful about this psalm is that the time when I'm, when I'm nervous is that it gives me this promise of don't fear. You don't have to fear. You will be delivered from all your fears and how comforting that is. It says in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. A promise true for those who have faith in Christ. That we we don't have to fear anything. Why? Because we've already been bought. Because God is greater than all our fears. He's so much bigger. He is that one in the throne room that trillions of people are worshiping. He is that one that gives us our every breath. He's the one that, that is deserving of praise, that's already getting praise and honor and glory and power and wealth and wisdom 
He is that one. And so it's comforting to know that, that this is the God who we serve. This is the God that calls us his children. This is our Father. This is our Heavenly Father. And so why, why would we fear? But we do, right? This is our condition. There's a lot of things to fear in this life. I mean, as I said, I was fearing the sermon prepping. I remember, um, you know, a couple of months back, the, the whole story about uh, Notre Dame burning down, the cathedral burning down. I remember it was a huge tragedy, and, and then in the construction world, we're like, yikes, you know, because that was supposedly at least first blamed on the general contractor. I work for a general contractor, and so you think about that, it's like, well, what if that was me? You know, uh, if I'm in that moment, I'm the one that's doing the renovation in Notre Dame, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm like sleeping at night, and I wake up in the morning, it's burning down. I'm like, whoa, you know, a history, a piece of history, 850 years old, is now burning down, and I might be to blame. You know, think about fear. Think about how scary that is. If you're the one to blame for burning down a piece of history, you think about not being able to walk through the streets because of what you've done. Try imagining, like, walking around France and be like, yeah, that was me. Um, yeah, I, I burned it down. But grace, right? You know, so, <laughs> so it, you know, just the, our, our fears are very legitimate. I mean, just think, I mean, in, in, in a very real sense of if that was that person, that, that, that fear is immense. You think, how can I ever walk around the, stri- the streets of France? How, how, how can I ever get a job again? I literally burned down an 850-year-old building. No one's going to let me walk on a renovation in their home, you know, <laughs> because they don't trust me. And you think about your reputation. You're going to have to, like, move to southern Africa or something. I don't know what's super far away from France, but you've got to get out of there and hope that somewhere there's no social media. You know what I mean? Um, because otherwise it's kind of hard to escape that. But that's so, they're so legitimate, and, and our fears are so legitimate. We, we fear about our health. If it's declining, we think about the health of our loved ones. If it's declining... We think about our job. We think about, am I secure? I feel like most of us struggle with this. I struggle with this, you know? It's not like anyone's ever told me your job isn't secure, but it's really not, you know what I mean? But, <laughs> but that's the reality, you know? There's just so many things. There's so many uncertainties in this life. There's so many things that we could fear. We could fear losing a loved one. We could fear not graduating, not performing well, you know? There's a lot of things that, that, that can come into mind when we think about, you know, what, what if our future doesn't pan out in the way it wants to be? What if we're never in that relationship that we want to be? What if we're never in that house that we want to be? What if, what, you know, there's so many different things that we can fear, but God says fear not. And we think, okay, well, I got some fears, you know. But he says fear not. He says this in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. These are the words of Jesus, the one who was that lamb who was slain, the one who could open the scroll. Is he that says this to you and me. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And of which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I mean, how comforting. You know, I felt like a lot of these verses, these, these chapters that I'm reading from, I was like, I don't even have to like, say much. You know what I mean? There's just so much comfort in these words, so much comfort in knowing the words of Isaiah, so much comfort in knowing the words of John, knowing that 
Jesus, the one who is that land, the one who's praised by everyone, the one who's high and mighty and worthy of everything, the one who can open the scroll, the one who can do all things, this is the one who's also telling us, you don't have to fear, you don't have to be anxious, I, I, I will cover you. I, I made you, I give you every breath you breathe. I'm the one that made the grass that you're walking on, the grass that I'm taking care of, the grass, the, the, the lilies that I'm taking care of. I'm, I've got all of this. I've created all of this, and I'm caring for all these things. And just trust me, I'm caring for you too. These are the words of Jesus to us, and I think about how comforting that is in the midst of our anxieties, in the midst of our fears, and how much we struggle with that. And Jesus just tells us, I mean, can you imagine? I feel like, you know, just a comforting imagery is just that we're at the feet of Jesus, sitting down, and he's telling us this, and he's comforting us. And he's probably, I mean, I imagine his disciples are freaking out. They're like, you know, i got to preach tomorrow, um, you know, or whatever else they were thinking about. i got to lay some hands on people. And, and they're like, how, how am I going to do this? And Jesus has all these people around him, and he says, yeah, don't, don't worry about it. You know, don't fear because I'm in control. What, am, what are we to do? We're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and seek righteousness. That's, a, that's our goal. We don't have to worry about, where is the Lord leading me? You know, I, I, I'm scared about what the future holds. I'm scared about what, what will happen. Will it work out? And Jesus says, don't, don't worry about all that. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And how comforting that is and how hard that is. Again, that's just the value of God's word. It's the value of, of coming together and reading it on a Sunday morning. Now, one thing I do want to say is David talks a lot about in this psalm um, about how, del- how he'll deliver you from everything. Um, and this is true. I mean, he took the Egyptians. I think of the story of Moses and how... And how he was delivered as a baby from the hands of Pharaoh, and then he was raised in the household of Pharaoh, and then he was brought to um, that bush. And God said to him, I will deliver my people. And I love what, what Moses said here. It's almost like typical human response. It's like, who, me? I can't do that. And God was like, did I, did I say that? I said, I will deliver my people. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, we think about this in, in preaching of like, me? I, I can't, like, I'm not good at speaking or whatever. And God says, I never said you. I said I'm going to deliver my people, and I'm going to use you. I'm going to communicate my word to you, through you, to them. I'm going to deliver my people. And that's what he does. He takes the Israelites. He brings plague after plague. He brings toads and, and blood to the, to the Nile. And, and there's all these things, that, I mean, darkness and, and, and death, because he, was, he wanted to Deliver his people, his chosen people, his beloved people, because he loves them and he cares for them. In fact, I love what uh, it says in the scriptures where God talks about he, used the, he chose the Israelite nations uh, out of his own wisdom. I don't know why, but one of the reasons was because they were small. And, and God uses small people in mighty ways. Um, because nobody's, no one's going to look at the Israelites and be like, yeah, I mean, they're like 10 feet tall and like 900 pounds. Like, of course, you know, they defeated us. That wasn't the case for the Israelites. But God said, I'm going to use you because you're small. And Moses was like, I'm not a good orator. And he's like, I'm going to use you because you're not a good orator. You're not good at this. I'm going to magnify my name. It's not about you. It's about me. And just, a, just a, a little bit of like what is magnifying, I mean, because I'm using that term all the time, think about it in a way of like looking through a telescope or something at a moon or at a star. It's not, it's not that we're actually making the object bigger, it's that our, our, our field of vision is changing. We're gaining a greater understanding of what it is that we are looking at. We see more details about it, and it becomes bigger in our, in our field of vision. We're like, oh my goodness. This moon is huge. I thought it was like a nickel, but it's not, you know? At least I don't think. But anyway, so th- this, is a, th- this is the whole idea about magnifying the Lord, is that we just see more of who he is, and that's what we're encouraging one another to do is magnify, to make us understand who he is 
more. But what I was saying about the Egyptians is that he does deliver them. But I want to make it clear that when it talks about deliverance, it's not necessarily from the earthly trials that we face. Because um, that would be prosperity gospel. And uh, thankfully, Kevin and the other elders and the others that preach here, you know, faithfully tell us, that's just not true. You know, God does deliver us. He does, and he, and he calls us, pray. Pray that you will be delivered from these trials, but it's not a definite. I'm sure you can think of trials that you have not been delivered from. It's not always inevitable. Your health may continue to decline. That loved one may die. You may not get that house. Your future may not work out to be what you would like it to be. You may not get that job you were looking for. You may lose your job. There's just so many things that may not actually happen, and you may not be delivered in an earthly sense from those things. But our hope is not in delivered from the trials. The, the wonderful thing is that we're being delivered from fears, and there is still ultimate deliverance, right? There's that ultimate deliverance from the grave. And that's what we put our hope in. We, you know, we can hope and, and pray and ask God, and I do encourage you to do so. I mean, this is not a discouragement. We do seek the Lord. But what, what David's telling us is that he delivers us from our fears and he delivers us from the grave, but it may not happen. It may not work out the way that we want. And that's why we don't put our hope in that. That's why we don't preach prosperity gospel, because how discouraging is that? When you're not delivered from that, and then on the day you die, we'll be like, well, I guess God didn't love me. And that's just not true. Because the promise is never that he's going to deliver you from every single earthly problem that you've got. I know you don't believe that because it's not happening. You know what I mean? Like there's so many things that we are struggling with and we're not going to be, we may not be delivered. He does deliver us. But it's not a definite. And that's all I'm trying to say is that I don't want to preach prosperity. And I don't want to tell you something that, that you know, you will definitely, 100% be a millionaire if you pray hard enough about it and say, Lord, I'm broke Bless me. It may not happen. He may not make you rich. And so I just wanted to put that disclaimer. As I said, you know, there's, it speaks, there's a lot of absolutes in these psalms. And I just want to nuance it to remind you that we still pray. We still seek the Lord. We still trust that he will do that for us. But we don't expect that we will be wealthy, or whatever else. But what we can expect is what Jesus has promised to us. He's going to take care of us. That, you know, even if we remain broke, and even if that loved one dies, and even if we don't get the job that we wanted, we can still have hope, and we can still have joy, because we're still going to be taken care of. That is a promise. What that means, I can't say necessarily for you, you know, but Jesus tells us that we will still have food to eat and clothes to wear, he will still take care of us. Maybe not the nice car that you're looking for, but maybe a Honda Civic or something like that. <laughs> Just kidding, that's why I drive, I'm grateful, you know. But anyway, David, after he, he goes through this and he comforts us and he reminds us of who, who we are, he takes us to this next step. He says, you know, first magnify the Lord, let the humble be glad. And then he takes us into this of, you know, those who are humble, those who have known God because of the work that he has done in their lives. He will deliver them. These are the promises that we can hold on to. And then he gives us our responsibility in this. David starts to preach at us. And so I'm just going to read what he says, and then I'll be done. Um, what David says is Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from speaking evil. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And so he gives us these guidelines. He says, you know, keep your tongue from evil. 
and your lips from deceit, and do good, seek peace, pursue it, fear God. You know, we do have a role in this. It's not because we do these things that we will be delivered. It's not because we do these things that we have been redeemed. These things come after the fact. God has already told us who he is. God has already revealed himself to us through the work of the Spirit. He has already redeemed us through the blood of Christ and given us that faith that we have in him. But then we partake in sanctification or a pursuit of holiness or trying not to sin as much as we did before. And that's what David's doing here. He says, you know, this is all true. You must magnify the Lord. And now I want you to do this. I want you to seek peace. I want you to not lie. I want you to fear my name and to glorify my name and magnify my name. And that's what we must do. You know, this is that application part where we think about what, in what ways am I not doing this? In what ways is my tongue out of control? In what ways am I boasting in myself? And what ways am I not fearing the Lord? What things am I not entrusting to him? What am I anxious about that God has told me not to be anxious about? What am I fearing that God has told me not to fear? What am I doing that is not good when God has told me to do good? And then we take that, and then this is where we apply it. I don't know where it is. It might be in work. You know, there is such an easy, it's so easy to boast in ourselves and work because we're literally doing it. It's like, yeah, I did it, you know. But God says, and David says, no, don't do that, because I am greater. Don't boast about grades. Don't boast about athletic ability. Don't boast about looks or intelligence or whatever it is. Boast in me. And this is what David's encouraging us to do. We must assess ourselves. I can't, I can't, I can't do it for you. You, you have to, we have to look into ourselves and think, in what ways am I, am I not doing this? Father, help me. Spirit, guide me. Word, convict me. Show me how I can do this better. I want to. Uh, we should have that plea like David had. Lord, I want to magnify your name. I want to praise you at all times. How, where am I failing? And this is what we must ask ourselves. Because we want to. We want to praise the one who is worthy to open the seal and open the scroll and the one who did die for us. We want to magnify the one that created all things, the one whose the train of his robe is filling the temple and who's shaking the earth. We want to praise him. And so my encouragement to you is to think about those things. What, where, how am I failing in this? And to read the word on a daily basis and remind yourself of these truths. And I love what David does when he finishes off this psalm. He says, verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ear towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, and not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And I think about that, and it's so helpful to, to remind ourselves of this righteousness that, that, that's being talked about here is not something that just happens because we do the things in the previous verses. It's not because we do good that all of a sudden we're righteous. In fact, we were the ones who are, verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. That's us. We're those depraved people that sin time and time again and praise ourselves time and time again. And, and the one who wasn't that, the one who was verse, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cries, that qualifies, one man qualifies for that. It's not anyone in this room Depends how you think about it. But anyway, Jesus, it's Jesus. It's not one of y'all. That's what I'm saying there. It's Jesus. He's the one who is righteous. He's the one who this verse applies to. And we're the one who verse 16 applies to. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So what happened? How, why is this true for David? Why is this true for us? And I think we know why. I hope we know why. The reality of it is, is that Jesus took on the attributes 
of verse 16. He took on our attributes. He took on our iniquities on the cross. He bore our sins and made us righteous. And he became, verse 16, and through that he bore the wrath of the Father and took it upon himself so that we could be, verse 15, so we could be righteous and that the Lord could turn his face towards us. He turned his face away from Jesus and forsook him and turned it towards us because we were covered with the blood of the Lamb. We were covered by his righteousness. And that is the truth. That is the reality. That is what we must think about. That is the ultimate hope giver. That is the ultimate life giver. That the reality is we never even earn this. We never even earn this righteousness. Praise God. Because I never could have. I never could have gotten there. And that's what's so beautiful about Christianity is because we never could have gotten there. But Jesus, he did. He was absolutely perfect. He was the better David. He, David said, I will magnify the Lord at all times. His bow shall let forever be on my lips. He actually did that. He actually praised his Father in heaven at all times. He actually did all these things. He did good all the time. He always sought peace. He always wanted to, to, to glorify his Father. He, he never spoke evil. He never spoke deceit. He did good. <laughs> Didn't mean it that way, but anyway. This is who Jesus is. Not who we are. And yet, he was the one that bore the penalty for our sins. He was the one that bore the wrath of the Father. The wrath that was supposed to go out to on, onto us. The one We were the ones who the face was supposed to turn away. And yet, didn't. And so now when we think about that, when we think about the rest of this, we, we have hope because, you know, as I said, I preached this to myself and then 30 seconds later, I failed. Thankfully, my righteousness and the Lord turning his face towards me has nothing to do with whether or not I succeed or fail. It has everything to do with the lamb, with the one who's, who was slain for my sake. And praise God, praise God, that that is where our hope is. And now, when David speaks about deliverance, we can think of deliverance not from the earthly things, although that may be true. We think about deliverance, ultimate deliverance from the grave. Right? Jesus was ultimately delivered too. He died. He, he was crucified for our sins and was buried. And then the Father lifted him up and raised him up. Now he sees. This is the one. This is the future. The Lamb who was able to open the scroll, that's, that's what we're, that we're going to be a part of that scene. And it's already happening too. It's because of Jesus. It's because he's alive. And it's because God delivered him from the grave. And now we too will partake in that. We will be delivered from the grave. And that is our hope. We can hope for things to go well in this life, but we'll probably be pretty disappointed. What we do and what we must find our hope in is that we are ultimately delivered from the grave because of Jesus, because of his blood. And that is so comforting because when we think about our fears and we think about our anxieties and we think about all the things that could go wrong in our life and we think, <laughs> I don't have to worry about all that because this life is like a vapor, as David said. It's gone in a second this part, this struggle, is gone soon. And then there will be the, a day when there are no more tears and no more crying. And we'll get to praise him with everyone else in that throne room and we'll get to say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. That is what we put our hope in. Because we look to that and we think that is incredible. That's a promise to us because of Jesus. Because of the work that he did on the cross. And bearing our sins. Now we have truly nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Because this is our future and this is our reality. So why would we fear man? Why would we fear financial struggles? Why would we fear anything? When this is our reality. When we know that we will get to be in that throne room and that we have ultimate deliverance. And now, as David says, we must seek first the kingdom of God, as Jesus said. And as David said, we must do good. 
This, this, should, this should be our focus at all times. We must always strive to do these things because we don't have to worry about anything else. We just work to magnifying the Lord, work to praising his name, work to being humble because he's worthy. And we want to point people to him. We don't want to point, I mean, we do. But we don't really want to be pointing people to ourselves because what are we going to do? Fail and then die. I mean, that's the reality of our lives. But he, he will not die. He is infinite. He is everlasting. Jesus has been resurrected. And he, there's already millions of things praising his name. The birds, the fish, those who have been faithful before us, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ before us, they're up there. Or, you know what I mean. And they're already praising him. And that's our future. That's what we get to put our hope in. And so that's my encouragement to you today. As the band comes on up and starts to do some worship, that we, that's where we would find our hope. That's what we would do this week and, and beyond, is that we would magnify the Lord. And that we wouldn't worry about anything. As, as the song we're about to sing says, we, we will lean back in the loving arms of a beautiful Father, the one who did send his Son to redeem us, and the one who has enabled us to be delivered. That's what we put our hope in. And so that's my encouragement to you this week, that you would seek first the kingdom of God, seek first the kingdom of heaven, and not not be anxious about anything. Don't boast in yourself. Work to read the word of God and have our faces radiant like Moses as we enter into that presence magnify the Lord together. So let's do that. Let's magnify the Lord together and exalt his name forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for how encouraging it is and how hope-giving it is and how life-giving it is. pray that we would lean back in your loving arms and that we would trust in you and that we wouldn't fear that we would be humble and magnify your name because you are far more worthy of praise than we are so Father may we not be anxious about anything but may you be magnified may we lean back in your loving arms Amen